Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here to talk about this uh, outtake from Hobby Hotline from a couple weeks ago, a riff about uh, retail, and maybe some suggestions for how to fix that uh, channel, because it's dangerous at this point. Thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So thanks to my co-hosts, Rich Klein and Brad Bethune, and all the uh, live chat and call-ins on that live show, which is every Saturday morning. Highly recommended. Listen to the whole thing. But this is a portion of it that I thought was germane to what I'm trying to accomplish in this podcast. Mark Harwell used to have a saying, rest in peace, Mark Harwell. <laughs> He's missed. One of the former presidents of my company, he basically had a saying that there's kind of two approaches to mass retail. One is more structured and one is less structured. And the structured, you walk in where everything is. The aisles are structured. You know where to go to find your stuff. When things are coming, it's 9 o'clock on Friday morning. And then say Walmart, the other alternative, is looser, unstructured. It's hard to find what you want in the thought that if you're stumbling around the store looking for something, you're going to find some other stuff that you don't need. That unstructured way is a better way to do this category now. Because if you tell the collectors you're going to have a shipment at 9 o'clock, you're going to get the week's worth of blasters, and it's coming in then, and it's going to go right here, they're not even going to shop the store. They're going to stand in line just for that. But if you don't know where they are, when they are, so there's these two approaches to, to mass retail, and both can be successful. But in our category, too much specificity is leading to fights. That's only because it's so hot. Three years ago, if you had that specificity, it was wonderful. Yeah, because they weren't selling out so quickly. You knew if you were looking like I do for Topps Heritage, you and you could go pick them up. Now you have to be very careful about when you go. Last, I went to Walmart two weeks ago, and they had Diamond King eleven ninety five boxes. I think they had six. I bought four just for the joy of it. I happened to do very well in terms of, of what I got out of those boxes. Very good value. I was personally just as happy with those 1195 boxes as I would be with a 2995 or 1995 prison basketball box. But it looks like most blasters come September will go to 2995. Everybody's going to complain and, but you know what? It's supply and demand. One of the reasons I think everybody tried to keep it at 1995, and it's one of those psychological reasons, most of us carry at least one $20 bill in our pocket. Mm-hmm. If you have an extra $20 and you walk into Walmart or Target and you have an extra 20 in your pocket, you don't feel like you've blown it by buying a blaster box. But all of a sudden at $29.95, then you have to pull out two boxes. And it, it does make a, a psychic difference. You've presented one scenario. It's not a guarantee that you can flip it at 150 next year. You just don't know. If the past is an indicator of, of the future... But it isn't always. There are exceptions and things change. In some cases, these sixth and seventh round rookies, if somebody gets a huge hit out of there, then they don't even care about those others. So there may be bargains when the top draft picks, the very top quarterbacks are going for outrageous amounts of money. And the regular pretty good starting quarterback is chopped liver. At yeah. some point, those things may equal out. You just don't know. There's some bargains out there for the undis- guys that haven't hit it yet in some of these sports. But you've got to be knowledgeable about the sport. You just can't say, I'm going to buy all the sixth-round draft picks. No, there's some that probably have more promise than others. But even that, you just can't know. There's always money to be made, but it may not be the flash and dash money. It could be the grinded out a little money. I agree, Rich, but I don't know that people are thinking that way. I think when no, de- you and I thought that when, way. When, <laughs> I know, but when they're determining whether they want to pay way above SRP for a fresh 
modern pack of whatever yeah. it is, they're not doing a mathematical analysis 99% of the time. They're thinking, Correct. I'm paying this amount of money. I have a chance to get a $100,000 card or a $10,000 card or whatever it is. If they do, they're not really doing the odds. They're saying, hey, that'd be really cool. So I don't think they're thinking, well, yeah, but it's not like a lottery ticket where you don't get the big win, but you get an intermediate win. More of the people who buy it after the lottery players play it. The guys will go to the table. There's a 3,200 count box of prison with, with not the key right. rookies, but the other guys all in there. And maybe that box is X amount. Then they say, okay, I want to keep these 10 cards because I'm prospecting these guys. Yeah. Vladdy Guerrero, I think, was the hot rookie in some Bowman Chrome prospect. I think Tatis Jr. was in there too. Guerrero's having a great year this year, but Tatis Jr. has now outstripped Guerrero. That was one of the elite extra edition product, products. Mm -hmm. Where Guerrero came out on fire, Tatis was a couple levels below. If you had been prospecting, you said, I love this kid Tatis. You won and, and you won on the second level. You didn't win on the first level. You know, the $30 blaster box price for Prism or Select or something like that is like a lottery ticket. But the value of the lottery ticket, according to the current price structure, is far above 30 It is not gambling to buy all of the $20 blasters you can find. Not necessarily just to sell them for $150, because if you break them, you're liable to get $150 worth of value from that. Now, at $150, mm -hmm. the calculus is different. It's buying the lottery tickets at a price lower than what the, the, the payout is going to be, you should buy all the tickets. Yeah. But when you get up to 150, all of a sudden there's an equilibrium there. You're going to have more even odds of winning and losing. It's not gambling if you buy real cheap. That was something in the 80s that I think was an underrated part of the junk wax boom, or I call the overproduced boom. Your BTE or your barrier to entry was very minimal in those days. Quite a bit lower, yeah. If you bought 86 Donruss, and, and let's say it's $20 for the box. It may be in the 30. And you pull the Jose Canseco out of the box, which is a reasonable possibility. You've almost paid for your whole box right there. Mm -hmm. And your other cards, people were building sets. And that way we are reverting almost to the overproduced era in that if you're buying it at the low price, then you're actually not really gambling. You're almost guaranteeing breaking even or making a profit just by busting the box at 30 or 20. Yeah. yeah, at that moment in time. Because at that moment then, then in there, time. There came a time 10 years later where that was not a good deal. Even no. at the SRT. But now, 25 years later, it's flipped. I'm not saying it's gold, but if you've got unopened 86 cases, you, you made money now. Yeah. It just took a while to get there. It took a generation. I want to throw out something, and I didn't realize this. This year was a, May show was a little bit different than last year. Our taxes were due May 17th. The show was a week later. Traditionally, April shows used to be slow for that very reason. A lot of people had paid their taxes. I didn't even realize if a lot of these people had paid their taxes properly, taxes would be on Monday. And the show was Thursday. If you waited to pay your taxes, as you should, if you owe money, and then all of a sudden you paid it on Monday, you may not have the extra capital either. Yeah, that's true. I don't know if all these people that are saying market crash and market correction are they well, thinking about the timing in the hobby? I, I don't know. Let's just eliminate the word crash. It's not even good to speak it. Correction is reasonable and natural. What we're coming out of is an outlier year of 2020 where dealers were buying because 2020 was the emergence of these analytical tools that were more available instantaneously almost where people could figure out, here's the comp, 
but everything was trending up. It was one, one of the most aggressive buying and trading years for dealers in history because things were so bullish. And so dealers were buying, but give the dealers a break in 2021. Now we have a mixed market. Somebody's walking up at their table. They're there to sell. They're not there to buy. Uh, somebody comes up and says, I got some cards here that I want to sell you at future retail. And the dealer maybe is dismissive, but probably is trying to size up this person. Hey, if you're offering it to me at half price, I'm going to consider it. If you're offering it to me at uh, 30, 40% off, I'm considering it. But if it's 10% off and I got to give you the money and maybe I sell it and maybe it's peaked in value, I just think it's unrealistic. What happened in 2020, 2021 now, you should go to a show to buy cards from the dealers. And if you want to trade or sell your cards, that dealer ought to be getting a break. Shouldn't be value for value. He paid for his table. He paid yeah. for his lodging, all that stuff. I think dealers should not get a bad rap for saying, hey, I haven't sold enough stuff yet to be able to pay big bucks for your card that you want to sell me at the prevailing price that I can't mark up. Mm-hmm.